core message of this entire series is you want to have an impact in the world, you're going to have to engage it. We assume that you're going to want to impact the world. And uh, that assumption is based on not so much reasoning as it is an intuitive belief. Let me, let me tell you what I mean, show you what I mean. I, as most of you know, or a lot of you know, I teach public speaking. It's one of the courses I teach at Queens. And I teach introductory public speaking, which means for many of my students, some of them out of the blocks, they're, you know, incredible. But for many of them, I'm just looking for a moment, you know, because in most of the moments, they're just, you know, hoping not to totally freak out in front of the rest of the room. But I'm looking for a moment, a moment where, you know, they come out, where their passion comes alive. And for, for a lot of it, it happens. And then I'll try to direct them in that moment that that's really what's, there's the core of who you are as a speaker. Well, one of them w- was speaking, and, and they were talking about their major, and they very quickly moved past the whole why get involved in it and talked about the different things you could do. And I'm, I, I critique them on the fly. And so I'm, I'm typing, and I'm typing, so what? Why? what do you t- okay, you're telling me all the ways to get involved, but why should I? Why do I, why do I care at this moment? And then she said, and she was talking about theater, and then she said, and she, I think she actually surprised herself when she talked about a way that she had been involved, and she said, and the thing, that, the thing that I did, I suddenly realized it affected everybody in the room. And there was her moment. The passion just started flooding out of her as she said, you don't know what it's like when you realize that the thing that you've done, that you've put your heart and soul into it, actually does something in other people's lives her eyes lit up and then i looked around the room so did everybody else's because there's something within us i I can tell you where i think it comes from in the end it doesn't matter there's something within us i think it's hardwired that loves impact the 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 sense that what we have done goes beyond us we're not a cul-de-sac whatever we've been given somehow affects the rest of the world I had this moment years ago where uh, Nan and I used to work for Campus Crusade, the University of New Hampshire, and a couple years, I think it was two years after we left, they asked us to come back and speak at a conference in, the, in, the, in throughout New England, and when, as I was, the guy was talking about it, he goes, oh, there's one guy who can't wait for you to get back here because he wants to just talk to you again about how much you influenced his life, and he told me his name, and I'm trying to fake it on the phone. I'm thinking, I have no idea who that is. Could not pick them out of a lineup. And then hoped, when I got there, I'd see him, I'd go, oh! When I got there and I saw him, I was like, well, I remember your... I did not say this out loud. I remember your brother. You don't really remember at all. And I didn't. And then he proceeded to tell me that something I had done, something I had said, had somehow flipped a switch within him. And unbeknownst to me, it had altered how he viewed his life and really changed the trajectory in some positive ways. Well, I couldn't remember the moment, but the sense I got in that was just almost euphoric, the sense that something I did actually made a difference in other people's lives. Probably every one of you has had that moment, that moment where something you did, be it small or be it big, really you saw the, the light bulb come on in somebody over somebody else's head. You saw the smile come up. You saw that you had somehow either taken a burden off of them or given them new strength or hope or peace, the magic moment. Because of that, we long for impact. 
we somehow sense that if we can influence other people, it matters, and it matters deeply. But then the question we address in this series is, is so how will we make an impact? How will we, with all of the things that are going on in our lives and the things we have to be concerned about, how will we make an impact beyond ourselves? How exactly will that happen? It happens when we engage the world, and throughout this series, we're going to talk about different ways to do that. Today, what I want to talk to you about is engaging the world through a contagious hope. And this is going to end up essentially being a two-part message today and next week, because this part I want to focus just on how you live with hope. I was reading a passage, the passage that this is based upon, and quite honestly, when I first picked this passage out, I did not have quite the direction I have once I really began to study it. And I want to read the passage to you and talk to you a little bit about the hope that's in this passage. And it's in toward the end of the New Testament in a book called First Peter, which is a letter written by a guy named Peter. You know, Peter, Apostle Peter, you know the... Yeah, anyway. Peter, he wrote a letter. And uh, one of his letters, First Peter, says this in chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, because I can tend to, in almost everything, take shortcuts, I see something quickly and want to run with it, and it's not just me, lots of people over the years have taken this passage and jumped to always be prepared to give an answer. And it's sort of the shortcut is, well, if you want to tell somebody, if you're a Christian, about why you're a Christian, be ready to give them, you know, three or four points on why you're a Christian. So give that, get that answer ready. The more I looked at this passage, the more I thought, we're jumping the gun here. The passage, if you break it down conceptually, it begins with the end. The only reason we're giving a reason is because people are asking something. The only reason people are asking something is because we have hope. Because of the hope that you have, people are noticing. When they notice, they want to know where it came from. When they want to know where it came from, it'd be a good idea if you told them. It begins with the hope that you have. And so that got me thinking. So what really is the content of the hope that we can live with? What does God actually offer us in terms of hope? That can be a difficult thing to plow through because in our culture, we use hope almost interchangeably for wishful thinking. In other words, I hope it'll be sunny tomorrow. It, it's based upon absolutely nothing other than that's what I'd like. We can exchange hope off in our culture for that's what I'd like. I'd like that to be the case. You know, I, I hope Liverpool's soccer game will go well today. There's no... If, uh, anyway, I'm going to give you that one. Wishful thinking. Now, let's say that is not contagious at all. Nobody ever, nobody ever will look at you and say, oh, where did you get that sense of wishful thinking that's based upon absolutely nothing? There's nothing contagious about that. Clearly... The Bible's talking about something different because it says there's people living with a, 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 a quality of hope that's actually drawing attention. That people are going, this is unusual. How can you live with so much hope? The best definition I've ever heard of hope, what the Bible teaches about hope, is that it's the realistic expectation of future good based on something, realism. 
I can have an expectation that my future, and by the way, every time I use future, you can assume future starts now. Because every moment forward is your future. The Bible teaches that you and I can have a realistic, grounded, solid expectation that our future will be good. Now, why can we have that hope? What I did as I was exploring this concept of hope, I thought, I want to... I want to see what all the Bible teaches about hope. And so it's actually not that hard to do. You'd think that'd be difficult to see what all the Bible, all in my 1,700 pages, teach about hope. But what you do is you go into Bible Gateway or U version and you type in hope and boom, all the passages pop up. And there are a lot. And I just started categorizing them, putting in different different pages, you know, on my, on my notebook sheets that I use when I'm creating a message. I hope for this, hope for that. And then I found one in, in this passage in Psalm 25. And as I saw that, it was such a compelling passage that I flipped to Psalm 25 to read the whole thing. And as I read Psalm 25, I realized, aha, here in one psalm is a very accurate and full description of what God, God promises, why we can actually live with hope, that our future will go well. And so what I want to do this morning is walk through some pieces of Psalm 25. Now, Psalm 25, if you don't know, the Psalms are, are worship songs that were written in the in the uh, in ancient Israel, and this one is written by, by David. And I'm going to read a, a section of it to you, and then we're going to sort of walk through some different parts of it. But this is what it says. He says in Psalm 25, starting at verse 3, no one whose hopes is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love for they are from old. Remember not the sins of my youth in my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the commands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. <clears throat> so, why can we have hope? Well, one of the reasons, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you three reasons, but it's more, I don't, I don't want you to see them as one, two, three. I want you to see them sort of as a, we're just moving through some of the aspects of what hope looks like, how we can actually live with hope in the midst of our, our worlds and our ordinary lives. And one of the reasons, one of the places we find hope is that God promises that we can live in a way, he will teach us to live in a way that will give us a preferable future, that we are either living now or we're learning how to live in a way that will give us a preferable future. See, often the reason why we lose hope, it's because of, of us. We lose hope that our future will go well because the conduct that we've had or the behavior that we had doesn't produce a preferable future. You fill in the blank over those things that have not produced a preferable future. Our economy crashed and appears to still be tottering because the conduct of some slash maybe many did not, was not designed to produce a preferable future. 
So what the Bible teaches is that, okay, there are ways I can teach you to live that will make your life go better. They'll produce better results. I want to walk that through with you. Amen. Let's say, let's say this. Let's say that you are a workaholic. And if you want to be a different aholic, just go ahead and fill that in. Let's say you're a workaholic. You know at your best moments that that isn't great. You do. I mean, you see the, the problems it causes, you know, the, the fact that you may look at a child and go, no, I think I know you, but I can't remember your name. You, you realize that you lose quality with those you care deeply about. You realize that it's not great for your health. And so you read in the Bible the passages that talk to you about giving, giving time for relationships and giving time for growth in God and giving time for spiritual practices. And you say, okay, so there's a better way to live. Now, let's be honest. <clears throat> You're a workaholic. And so I, or your Bible, tells you that's not a great idea. So everything's better now, right? Not so much. See, this is what I love about the Bible. This is what the passage says about how God will teach us. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior. My hope is in you all day long. The power of how God leads us to a preferable future in the way that we live our lives is he doesn't just tell us a better way to act. He guides us in how to make that actually happen in our own experience. See, the reason if you're a workaholic, you got to figure out why you're a workaholic. There are reasons behind this, and somebody telling you not to do that doesn't make it go away. What makes it begin to go away is you realize the idolatry or the false beliefs about you and about the world that drive that workaholism. And so the promise of God to give you a better future that is not trapped by your current behavior is he will show you a different way to live and then he will teach you how to break the pattern that you have lived in so that you can live a new way. This is what takes us from traps to freedom. God promises to walk alongside of us in the very things that tend to sabotage our future. By future, you may, may, may read any moment from now forward. Now, when I read that, I think, okay, that, that's great. Let's imagine. Let's imagine that I have an issue. Let's just, you know, just throw out, suspend disbelief. Imagine that I have an issue or a problem in my life. And God teaches me why that issue's there, and he starts to lead me in a way that it begins to fade from my life. Do you know what I'm thinking? Okay, but I haven't been living in a vacuum here. I've actually had consequences <clears throat> for that issue for years. You see, if God promises to teach me a new way to live, what do I do with the way I have been living and the consequences that it's caused? Another part of the hope that God gives us is not only is he going to teach us a better way to live, a lay that's a perfect future, he's going to give us real wisdom about how actually to live well and successfully and get better results, but he also promises that we can have hope because our past and our present will not derail us. See, at the moment that we believe that the way I've lived has derailed me from having a hopeful future, my hope's shot. You remember the movie Seven Pounds? If you saw the movie Seven Pounds, Seven Pounds was the story of somebody who had lived in a way... I mean, he learned his lesson. 
you know, don't don't text and drive. He learned he learned his lesson. He would never do that again. But he couldn't get past the damage that he caused. He believed there was no redemption for him. It wasn't enough to know there was a different way to live. It wasn't enough to know that he'd given too much time to work. It wasn't enough to know that he'd been distracted in the car. There was no redemption left for him. And so hope was gone. I remember vividly years ago, probably two years into, maybe three years into me being a Christian, I was driving back to school, uh, back to college from home, and in, in Baptist terms, I would have been at a point we call backslidden, which means I'd become a Christian a few years before that, and I, I really believed that God had forgiven me, which I thought was awesome. And then I had not a clue how I was supposed to live, and so I, I developed new patterns of messing up my life, brand new ones that I had not had before. And so I got to the point, though, and I thought, wait a minute, I've already been forgiven. There, I know there was redemption for me, but there's not any more because I already know better. I mean, I can't tell you how, how palpable that feeling was. I know better, and yet I still not lived right. And... I remember thinking, I mean, it was like the words were stuck in my head. There's no redemption left. The way you've lived, can, you, I forgave you once. Look, let's, let's face it. You got two chances. First one, you messed up, forgave you. You messed up the second one, you're out. And it was a moment, it was like five or ten minutes where I sat there and I thought, there is no hope. My past and my present have doomed my future. There's nothing that can be done about it. It doesn't matter if I start living better. I can't get past what I've already done. And then it was as if God was sitting in the car with me. And he was kind of laughing, but not laughing at me. He was laughing with me. And he says, really? Did you really believe? that? W have you looked around the world, by the way? Did you really believe that what you did was so bad? that it could not be forgiven, that there was no redemption left for you? Did you really think that I would let your past and this present moment derail you? There's a verse in the midst of this chapter that I, it just absolutely strikes me. Where he says, I mean, he's always talking about, oh, God, I need you to teach me a new way to live, and that's, what, that's where my hope will be found. But then he says, for the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. You know, sometimes we'll go, God, forgive my iniquity because I've done a couple things I probably shouldn't have. You know, it's not that bad, but if you could clean up my mess a little bit, there's a few things I need forgiveness. He says, the psalmist goes, David goes, forgive my iniquity, for it is great. <laughs> God, you may not be aware of that, but it's really big. See, that's exactly how I felt. But I didn't have the courage to say to God, forgive my iniquity. I didn't think there was any more hope. And then it was as if God was speaking to me and saying, you really believe there's no redemption left for you? Of course there is. I refused to let your past derail you. I have a hold of you. See, the greatest reason that we can have hope is that God promises from the moment we enter a relationship with him that he has a forward trajectory to our lives that he will see accomplished. In verses 11 and 12 of this passage, I'm sorry, 12 and 13, 
See what it says. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? And fear does not mean, ah, I mean, we are at Halloween, but it doesn't mean I'm scared. Fear in the Old Testament means awe. I mean, who's the one who respects, awes, lives lives to honor God? Who's the one who's connected to God? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. Let me be honest. If my hope is found solely in the fact that I'm living better than I was, which I believe God absolutely promises you and I, if my hope is found solely in the fact that I'm forgiven for how I've lived, which I absolutely believe is true, it's not enough. What God adds that, it's really the culmination of it, is he says... I'm going to instruct you in the way that I've chosen for you. I have you in my hand. I'm taking you forward. You are not stuck. You are not doomed to be where you are. I promise you a preferable future. I promise you forward movement in your life. See, the great despair. The place where hope gets lost is when we believe that either ourselves or the circumstances beyond us have doomed us to be stuck. We can't go forward anymore. Have any of you, did any of you learn to drive on a stick shift? Yeah, you, really? Catherine, because you're, you're young. Most people learn to drive on the stick shift if they're my age, because there's not a lot of stick shifts out there anymore. Every I learned to drive on a stick shift. Stuck in neutral can still make me break out in a cold sweat. Because if, and if you, if you were on a learned, it's different if you've learned to drive on a stick shift. I, I mean, I have this, still have this one vision of being on a hill. This is bad, right? I'm on a hill. Car is right behind me. Light turns green. And my dad is glaring at me. It's not possible to get it into first gear. I cannot move my feet fast enough from the brake to the clutch to the gas and have it not slide back as I move it into first so I don't hit the car behind me. Can't be done. I am stuck in neutral. I cannot get out. Cold sweat. Hopeless. The car's still there. I'm kidding. It's not. Bad if you're, in a, if you're driving a stick shift. When it's your life that you feel like not enough can be done. I'm stuck. It is the sense that there's no longer going to be forward motion, that I can't experience transformation, that where I am is where I will be. That's when hope fades. If I... um, Talks on hope can feel very trite. Because the truth is that some of you in the last six months or year or two years have had some very hard hits. And some of you have had things that felt like, you know, bombs going off in your life. And they have rocked you. And so you've asked the question, how am I to live with hope? How do I, how do I move forward from here? For some of you, that phrase has been the actual one you've articulated. How do I move forward from here? Because God has chosen a path for you. 
because not a moment of your life is outside of his vision. Because he has promised that you will experience transformation, growth, and beauty in your life starting now. That it is not something mythical or theoretical. That God does not offer us teaching in a book alone. He offers us himself. The power of Christianity is not simply found in its teaching. It's found in the person. The person of Jesus who promises to give you hope. Who has taken your life and will move you forward. It's great to know how better how to live. It is. It's great to be forgiven. There is no replacement for the fact that God promises that he has a chosen path for you and he's taken you forward. He was not surprised by anything that happened. There's no rock, no problem, no struggle too big because he has a plan and he's moving you forward. And in the midst of my life happening around me, I need to know that there's somebody bigger outside of myself who's committed himself fully to me. That's why I have hope. That, my friends, is contagious. When you walk through difficult things, not blandly, not with an optimism of, hey, I'm sure that this is going to go well, that's not particularly powerful. If you walk up to somebody and they say, I just believe my future is going to go well, and you say, now why is that? And you say, I don't know, I just do. That is not particularly powerful. However, if you, in the nitty-gritty of life, walking through hard things and successes, walking through those, and people see in you not a bland, superficial optimism, but what they see in you is something that, even as you're being rocked, is alive, that's pretty powerful. And it's exactly what God wants for you. A hope that's solid. A hope that can weather the storms of life. A hope that's found in his presence and his purpose for your life today. You're not stuck in neutral. God has promised you positive transformation starting now. Next week, as we move forward in this series, we'll talk about how that becomes contagious. What does it look like for us to live in the midst of our world with a sense of hope. For today, I want this to hit you. I, I encourage you to go back and read through Psalm 25. As you walk through that passage, ask God to speak to you specifically where you need to hear solid, realistic content about that hope that he has for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us hope. Hope that's not based upon a whim, but based upon the assured expectation that you will give us future good because you have grabbed a hold of our lives and you have our future in your hands. I pray for everyone in the room whose hope feels a little slippery right now. That you would replace those thoughts with true words from you. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I pray for those today who, when I talk about being in a relationship with you, it is not something that they are able to recognize personally. It's not happened for them. 
I pray today you would speak to them about your passionate desire for them to give them hope that's based in you. I pray that you would show them that there is a purpose for their lives that's in you, that there's a relationship you've designed them for, and that today, with a simple moment of prayer, they can come to you and experience a connection with you that will not fade. I pray for all of us. In this time, you will make hope live. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we go to this time of response, ask God to meet you in the midst of this and speak to you about the hope that he has for you. I pray in this time that what we'll hear is we'll hear God's words to us that cut through everything else. He is the God of all hope. We start this part of our time with our offering because it's a way to remind ourselves that God brings hope to our life. He is the God of all hope, and we respond out of that.